This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Marketing Against the Grain, hosted by Kip Bodner and Kieran Flanagan. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Look, if you want to know what's happening now in marketing, what's ahead, and how you can stay ahead of the game, this is the podcast for you. Host and HubSpot's CMO and SVP of marketing, Kip and Kirian share their marketing expertise, unfiltered in the details, the truth, and like nobody tells it. In fact, a recent episode, they titled Half-Baked Marketing Ideas. They got down in the weeds, talked about some outside-of-the-box campaigns with real businesses. Listen to Marketing Against the Grain wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance and my guest today is Nancy Harhut. She is the co-founder and chief creative officer at HBT Marketing, frequent conference speaker and author of a book we're going to talk about today, Using Behavioral Science and Marketing, Drive Customer Actions and Loyalty by Prompting Instinctive Responses. That was a mouthful, but welcome to the show, Nancy. <laughs> you handled it well. Thank you very much. And thank you for the invitation. <laughs> I thought I was going to stumble on a couple of those words there. So, so let's start actually with a part of the subtitle. How do you define instinctive responses? Yeah, so it's interesting. Behavioral scientists have studied how people make decisions. And what they found is really fascinating. What they found is very often people aren't making these well thought out, well considered decisions. Right. What we're doing instead is we're just relying on decision making shortcuts, which are these automatic, instinctive, reflexive behaviors that mm -hmm. humans have developed over the millennia as a way to conserve mental energy. And uh, so what happens is we couldn't possibly weigh every piece of information before making a decision. We just never get around to making any. We'd run out of time. So instead, we've developed these hardwired behaviors. We cruise along through life on autopilot. And when we encounter a certain situation, we just default to these hardwired behaviors, giving them little, if any, thought. And so when I talk about prompting instinctive responses, I'm talking about prompting those hardwired automatic responses. You know, we, we want to increase the likelihood as marketers that people will engage with and respond to our marketing messages and triggering some of these hardwired behaviors is a great way to do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes, I mean, some of these behaviors, knee-jerk reactions, that's another word people give to that sometimes. Some of them aren't in our best interest, right, as the people responding, are they? Well, you know, that's what's interesting. You know, a lot of them kind of developed, you know, way back in, you know, the time of our ancient ancestors, you know, right. and sometimes those, you know, those responses were important. They kind of kept us alive. You know, the two two guys walking along that see a saber-toothed tiger, the one who goes, oh, looks kind of furry, but the teeth look kind of, boom, he's lunch. The other one who sees the tiger, doesn't stop to think, just bolts. He survives, you know, passes down his genes. So, it, you know, at, at one point, some of these hardwired responses we had, you know, kept us alive. Now they help us right. get through the day. And, and some of them, you're right, aren't always, you know, the best for us. Dan Ariely, who's a, a behavioral scientist and mm -hmm. the author of a book called Predictably Irrational, actually talks about that. And he says, you know, we have a tendency to behave in a certain way. It may not be the best way, but yet we just keep defaulting to that, that, to that particular behavior. Sometimes they're very helpful. Other times, you know, these automatic behaviors, not so much. But again, because we're not thinking, we're just responding. And, you know, it's kind of what, you know, it's kind of what, kind of what we end up with. Well, and when I read books like this, and again, I'm not putting you in this category, but I think a lot of people 
sometimes people take a book like this and they say, oh, this is how I can manipulate people. And I know that's not why you wrote the book, of course, by any, any but do you ever worry that, that people, you know, might learn behavioral science and, uh, you know, creating instinctive responses, not necessarily for good? Yes, it, you know, it is something that comes up when I talk to people and you know, when I speak at conferences. But what I always say is, look, as marketers, we should be responsible. We should be ethical. Right. Just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should. And for those, you know, for those people who would like to abuse these principles, you know, you may win the battle, but you're going to lose the war because ultimately yeah, it comes yeah, back yeah. to bite you. You know, you erode customer trust, you damage your brand, and it's just not worth it. And I think the other thing I want to mention is it's not like it's a magic wand. We can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. We can, you know, if you think about it, you know, you put a marketing message out there, you've got a product or service, the world is going to divide it into three different camps. There's going to be someone who says, oh my God, I've been looking for that. Thank goodness. Sign me up. There's going to be another camp that says, no way, no how, completely not interested. You know, I, I don't like it. It's too expensive. I already have my preferred provider. And then there's going to be the third, arguably largest group. And those are the people that are on the fence. And if we can help them pay attention to the message, understand the message and, you know, and respond to the message. Well, that's a good thing for them and for us, right. but we can't force them to do anything, nor will these, you know, these tactics result in that, but we can increase the likelihood that they'll pay attention, that the message will be more meaningful, more, more relevant, and as a result, more likely to be responded to. Yeah. To basically what we're trying to help people do is make a decision that's actually in their best interest if there is a fit, right? And I think that's, a more positive spin, I think, on where you're going with this. Where do you see marketers getting globally, you know, this idea? I'm sorry, where do we see marketers globally getting? Where do you see, see them getting this idea of using behavioral science in marketing wrong? So where are they getting it wrong? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of a couple of instances. I think, you know, in one case, somebody, you know, listens to a podcast, reads a book, you know, reads a case study and says, oh, I get it. And so they go and they apply a particular behavioral science principle and they don't get the double, triple digit lift in response that they were looking for. And so they say, it doesn't work. Now, it could be that it was applied improperly. It could be that particular technique that they tested wasn't the right one for their, you know, situation. So I think that's, you know, that's one place where people are getting it wrong. I think in another place, people are like in the right way. And, you know, in that way is a brain friendly way. And that's going to increase the likelihood that you'll get the response that you want. So, so I think, you know, one way people are getting it wrong is they know a little bit, they test it when they right. don't get the immediate desired response, they say, forget it. And then the other group is the people who are naysayers and say, I, I don't need it, you know, and even if they're doing well, they could be doing even better if they add it in. So let's talk about a few of the, the principles. You kind of break each chapter up into a, you know, kind of known principle. Um, the one that, I mean, I must have heard, you know, a million times from people talking about marketing and that that's people make decisions for emotional reasons rather, and then maybe they back it up with some sort of rational reason. So, you know, how do we take advantage? Or, I mean, how do we create emotion, I guess, is really what we're after there so that they get the opportunity to back it up with logic. Right, right. Well, John, you're absolutely right. You know, people make the decisions for the emotional reasons and then they justify them to themselves to other people with the rational reasons. So what we need to do is we need to think about our customers and our prospects, put ourselves in their shoes and consider what it is they're feeling. You know, even in a B2B environment, feelings factor in. You know, you want to, yeah. you know, feel like you're, you know, you're making a good decision. You want the boss to like, the shareholders to like, you want your employees to like you. You want to be able to get home in time for dinner, right? you know, whatever it is, there are definitely, you know, human desires, human emotions that, that factor into buying decisions. And instead of ignoring them, we want to acknowledge them. You know, I did some work for a company that makes 
business intelligence software. So right away you think, okay, kind of a technical, sophisticated right. product, a highly educated audience, and you know, one could argue a kind of a cut and dry product. And so, you know, you could have done a few different things. You know, you could have done some advertising that says, here's what we do, right? You have data, data is locked away in, in disparate databases, this unlocks it. Like, oh, okay, great, you know, kind of straight to the point. Or you could have said, you have a problem. Your data is locked away in disparate databases. As a result, you don't see all the information you need to see, and you're probably, you know, not making optimum decisions. We have a solution. That could also work. But uh, instead, what we did is we focused on how the end user might be feeling, knowing that they're making these decisions, these high-powered decisions, and they don't have all the information that they need at their fingertips. And they realize it's just a matter of time before something's going to go wrong. They're going to make the wrong decision. And there's a lot of, of you know, weight on your shoulders. And so we talked about the, you know, the product being the diet for an antacid of tough decisions. You know, the fact that you probably are, have these gut-wrenching decisions you have to make, or that it's the delete button for that voice in your head because you're constantly second guessing yourself. Did I make the right call? Did I overlook a piece of information that, that would have changed my mind? So, so we actually took these into research and what we found was that third one, that emotional one, got a 11% lift in brand favorability and a 13% lift in purchase intent. And I believe it was because, you know, of that emotional connection. People were like, if this company understands me and my world as well as they seem to, they likely have a product that would benefit me. Are you an agency owner, consultant, or coach that works with business owners? Then I want to talk to you about adding a new revenue stream to your business that will completely change how you work with clients. For the first time ever, you can license and use the duct tape marketing system and methodology in your business through an upcoming three-day virtual workshop. Give us three days and you'll walk away with a complete system that changes how you think about your agency's growth. The duct tape marketing system is a turnkey set of processes for installing a marketing system that starts with strategy and moves to long-term retainer implementation engagements. We've developed this system by successfully working with thousands of businesses. Now you can bring it to your agency and benefit from all the tools, templates, systems, and processes we've developed. To find out when our next workshop is being held, visit dtm.world workshop. That's dtm.world slash workshop. I'm, I'm just going to jump to another one. Loss more than gain, greater than gain. I mean, a lot of times we will do things to avoid pain or immediate loss, you know, before we will do things that are good for us or that will get us gain. I've, I've heard marketers talk about people buy painkillers instead of vitamins. So, you know, again, how does that one play into, you know, a marketer's ability to, you know, get an instinctive response. Sure. So behavioral scientists have found that people are actually twice as motivated to avoid the pain of loss as the right. pleasure of gain. And so, of course, what do we do in marketing? We double down on the gains, right? We always talk about the gains, the advantages, the benefits. And, you know, John, there's nothing wrong with that. We know that benefits sell. We know that they work. But a little well-placed loss aversion could go a long way. So, for example, instead of saying, you know, take advantage of this great new product, maybe we say don't miss out on this great new right. product. You know, we don't want people don't like to miss out. You know, a lot of times we talk about savings. Oh, if, you know, if you buy today, you'll save fifty dollars. Well, everyone loves to save, but what they love even more is not overpaying. So maybe what you do is you say, if you wait, you're going to overpay. So instead of the message yeah. being save today, it's pay more tomorrow. So there are ways to frame things. Uh, so that it points up the potential loss. And that can be very motivating because, as you noted, people don't like to lose. Loss aversion is very, very compelling, very motivating behavior. 
So I'm going to jump now to scarcity and urgency. I mean, we see this all the time, especially online marketers, you know, selling some course or something that there's only five seats left or, you know, the offer, there's a little, the countdown clock that shows you that you're not going to get this offer if you wait five more minutes. Some of those, again, I think do fall into manipulative there. That's easy for me to say. But there are also very positive ways to use them as well, aren't there? Yeah, you know, if somebody is genuinely interested in something and, you know, they're engaging with the marketer, it's good for the marketer to say, hey, look, if you're interested, there's only five of these left or the sale ends next week. Because if you don't share that with your prospective customers, they're going to get angry when they come back, you know, in two weeks. Like, well, why didn't you tell me that the price was going up? Why didn't you tell me you were running out of them, you know? But of course, as we said earlier, use it ethically, use it responsibly. Don't say this is the last one if you've got 10 more in the back room because ultimately that's going to erode trust. It's going to erode the brand. But but the truth of the matter is people value things more that are scarce. And if we realize there's a finite quality, quantity or a finite time, it does get someone off the dime. It gets them to act now. Yeah. And I think to your point, if you're going to use a tactic, it is true. The sale ends or this price ends at a certain, you really have to hardline honor that. Um, I think that's where people get in trouble is that they put those and then it's like, well, we didn't really mean that, you know, because, hey, we can take your money, right? And I think that, as you said, that nothing erodes uh, trust faster. You have uh, on the back cover, Robert Cialdini's endorsement of the book, you know, certainly if anybody's familiar with him, uh, they're familiar with, uh, certainly with influence. Some of the first, I think he was one of the first, at least uh, to my knowledge, that wrote about this type of behavior in marketing. It's funny, he told me I had him on the show. I mean, he told me that he wrote that book because he'd seen people being manipulated and he wanted them to know how people were manipulating them. And he said that, you know, he never envisioned it turning into like the marketer's, you know, Bible for behavioral, uh, behavioral science. One of his, you know, as I recall, you know, reciprocation was certainly a, you know, a big principle of influence and it shows up in this book as well. So you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how that principle comes to play on humans? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, it's not about manipulating, at least it shouldn't be about manipulating people. It should be about understanding how they make decisions. And so reciprocity is a really interesting one because people feel obliged to return favors. So if you do something for someone, if you give them something, whether or not they ask for it, once it's in their possession, well, you know, they feel obliged to kind of answer in kind to return the favor. You know, humans are hardwired like that to, to cooperate. It's what helped us continue from generation to generation. We, you know, we try to be cooperative. We try to be civil. We try to get along. It ensures the propagation of the race. So we had a client that came to us and said, listen, we're a financial services firm and some of the financial advisors that were selling our products stopped about a year ago and we want to re-engage them. So we'd like to send them something. So, you know, you might say to me, well, Nancy, why would they want to send a gift to people who were not doing what they wanted them to do? Like, wouldn't they want to say, you know, save their money and send gifts to the financial advisors who were selling their products, reinforce the positive behavior, but they use the reciprocity principle. So they sent out an email that said, watch your mailbox. We've got a gift. We picked it out, especially for you. Now, mind you, these people would stop selling the product a year ago, but you know, we picked out a gift, especially for you. So you get that in your inbox and you think, oh, I'm going to check that out. Next thing you know, in the mail, this box appears. Inside was a framed New Yorker cartoon that was appropriate to a financial advisor, some you know little right. joke about selling financial services. And the cut line, the, the caption had the advisor's name in it. So John, yours would have your name. You know, mine would have my name. Right. It was beautifully framed. It was a New Yorker cartoon. And there was a, you know, a letter, short letter with it from the wholesaler that said, we've been trying to get hold of you. We'd really like to catch up. So 
you know, you get this, and you're like, oh my God, this is really cool. I'm going to hang it on my wall. That's my name on a New Yorker cartoon. And, and then, so what happens? You know, you're not only is it top of mind, but when the wholesaler calls, you're going to take their call. When you're, you know, out talking to your customers, you're going to say, oh, maybe I should toss a little business this way, you know, the, the company's way. Right. They picked up $68 million in incremental revenue traced back to that one promotion, you know, reciprocity <laughs> yeah. principle, give to get. Yeah, I wrote a book on referrals called The Referral Engine and I, you know, I tell people that all the time because there's an element of that you you touched on but glossed over a little bit is that there's an element of reciprocity in kind. And so I tell people all the time, get, if you want to get more referrals, give more referrals because people will feel somewhat obliged. You know, not that you make a, a part of it, but they will feel somewhat obliged to um to really not just reply, but reply in kind. And so probably send you a referral or send it to somebody. So I'm going to jump way to the, those were some of the early chapters. I'm going to jump way to the back of the book and pick on one that I think is particularly troubling for people, particularly people that have a either a long sales cycle or like change that they're trying to ask for is just going to be really hard <laughs> for, you know, even though if somebody knows it's in their best interest and that's this idea of the payoff being too distant, that creates a bit of a challenge, you know, for people because I, I you know, I hate to pick on this, whoever will politicize the show. You know, I think that's the problem with climate change, right? People aren't willing to make hard decisions today because, ah, that's 30, 50 years from now, you know, it won't impact me. So, if you're in one of those businesses where, you know, you are struggling a little bit with that, you know, how do you make and, you know, how do you bring some urgency <laughs> and scarcity, you know, to something like that? Yeah, yeah. So behavioral scientists talk about something called temporal discounting. Basically, what the, what they're saying is, you know, we live in this kind of instant gratification world where people right. prefer, you know, gratification now, they'll take a smaller, albeit sooner reward over a larger but longer one. So if you know, if you offer someone $5 today or $10 next week, many times people grab the $5 today, they want it right now. And then a week later, they're like, Oh, why didn't I wait? You know, but that they when they look at it in the future, it just looks more distant. So if you're a marketer selling insurance or retirement services, or even, you know, uh, education, those are like some of those industries where the payoff comes down the road. And, you know, if you've got $100 in your hands now, it's a lot easier to just go out to dinner and a movie than is than it is to put it in the bank and save it for your retirement, which could be 20, 30, 40 years down the road, right? right and right. so it's like, you know, we just keep thinking, well, we've got plenty of time, we'll get to it later. So what behavioral scientists have found is one of the keys to get getting people to overcome this idea of temporal discounting is to get them to see themselves as they are today with the same likes and preferences and needs but in the future, because one of the problems is when we look at ourselves in the future, mm. when we try to imagine ourselves in the future, that person is like a, I don't know, like a stranger to us. We don't really yeah. have a concept of who we are. So we try to bridge that gap. The person you are today and the kinds of things that you like is going to be the same person, you know, in 10 years. And so make the decisions today that today's person would want, because in 10 years, you're going to want that, you know, that same thing. If you want more money today, for example, don't you think you're going to want more money in 10 years? Oh yeah, I guess I would. Well then sock a little way now. So Merrill Lynch actually ran a, um, an interesting campaign where they're trying to get people to save for retirement. They had them upload their photo and they could age progress it. Mm. And so you could see what you would look like 25 years, 35 years down the road. And a lot of people, I think, 60% of the people that did it actually said, send me some information about how to save for retirement, you know? Now, of course, that's an expensive software program, but you can do it with language too, just drawing the link, you know, hey, you know, we asked you if you wanted, we asked the future you if you wanted more money, you said yes, duh. Well, of course, the future me said yes. The present right. me would say yes too, so. 
Do Do you find that any of these? And I know this is a terribly hard question to answer specifically, but do you find any of these sort of these approaches are more effective visually versus you know words or stories? Yeah, some of them are, are specifically, I think, for the art world. So one of them is photos. You know, you can do like a before and after photo or a cause and right. effect photo, right. you know. Right. And so what you want to do is you want those to be as close together as possible because the closer they are together, the greater the relationship people perceive there to be. So instead of having, you know, the before shot way on the left and the after shot way on the right, you know, you want them as, as you know, yeah. almost adjacent because when people see them, they think that the relationship is stronger. But there's a study that came out of Cornell that found that people believe text more, copy more, if it's accompanied by a chart or a graph. And it's yeah. not that the chart or the graph provides additional information or makes the information clearer. What the researchers found was it, it just adds this kind of scientific veracity, right, this right, era, right. or not era, this aura of credibility. And so yeah, people aren't even going to pour over the graph. Just its presence makes them go, oh, yeah, th this must be truthful. So yeah, there are definitely yeah. some design techniques that, that we could use. <laughs> It, it was scientifically researched, right? Because it has a graph. Exactly. Yeah. That's <laughs> where people so, go, you know? So, so you, when you look at, say a client comes to you or somebody comes to you or they're struggling with, you know, a challenge, do you have kind of a checklist of, well, have we thought about how we would do this? Or is it every case unique in that, you know, there's really only one or two challenges that they're, or one or two opportunities maybe for a prompting and then instinctive response or do you just kind of layer them on well you know what we do is we we start with all right what's the goal who's your right. target market who's your audience sure. what's the biggest reason they are not going to want to do what you're asking them to do and now let's look at the ways to overcome that and then i kind of i have probably about 25 different behavioral science tactics that are my go-to's right. i write about them in the book are there others absolutely but these are the 25 that i've seen work over and over again so the question is all right which of the 25 do we use and very often there's there is more than one we might choose you know three or four of them depending on what it is we're creating is it an email is it a direct mail is it a blog piece or is it a, a very concise social media post if there's not a lot of real estate we have to limit ourselves but if there's a little bit more right. real estate you know use a few of them but the idea would be identify you know the most you know compelling reason why someone isn't going to want to make the decision they don't know your company they think you're too expensive they're not sure they have the you know the need they think they've got a, a better solution and then once we know what that is then we say all right now what's the best way to overcome that what's the best argument to make people say oh no maybe i should be making this purchase decision so the book, one of the things you've done in the book that I always like in a book is that you kind of break down at the end of the chapter, not just references, but like here's action steps and here's, you know, kind of here are the key elements of the book. And you also have, did I read that right? You also have some checklists and things that people can download as well. Yes. Yeah. So what I wanted to do is really make the book like a hands-on handbook. So if you're a marketer, you get a lot of stuff on your plate. In fact, even if you're not a marketer, even if you're just someone who has to do marketing as one of a million other tasks, you know, I wanted to make the book very accessible so that you could parachute in and out. You could quickly grab what you needed. So there were checklist and, you know, how to's and little cases, mistakes to avoid, you know, things to test. And then if you buy it, it's available in many places, but if you happen to buy it through Kogan Page, the publisher, you can actually download some checklists that, that you can, you know, refer to that will just help you kind of codify these, uh, these different principles and give you some examples of how to apply them and why, you know, where you might best use them, I should say. Awesome. 
Well, Nancy, I appreciate you stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast to talk about your book. And uh, if you want to invite people, you've already mentioned the book's available anywhere, but uh, anywhere they might want to connect with you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find me at N Harhut or Nancy Harhut at Facebook and Nancy Harhut at, at LinkedIn. And then my agency, HBT Marketing, which stands for Human Behavior Triggers, HBT Marketing. We're at HBT MKTG. We abbreviate marketing. And we've got a lot of, you know, articles and, uh, you know, podcast interviews and things like that up on the site. So anyone who's interested in behavioral science, there's a treasure trove of information there and you can connect with me there too. So I'd love to hear from your listeners, you know, whether they have a specific question or whether they just want to say hi and, and connect. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you taking a moment to stop by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast and hopefully we'll see you one of these days soon out there on the road. We, I just missed you in Boston. I think we were at the same conference. Yeah, well, I'm sure we're traveling in the same circles. But John, thank you so much. It's been a delight to be on the show. I really appreciate it. And and I do look forward to, to seeing you in person the next time I'm out and about. Absolutely. Hey, and one final thing before you go. You know how I talk about marketing strategy, strategy before tactics. Well, sometimes it can be hard to understand where you stand in that, what needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy. So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing strategy assessment. You can find it at marketingassessment.co, not .com, .co. Check out our free marketing assessment and learn where you are with your strategy today. That's just marketingassessment.co. I'd love to chat with you about the results that you get.